We're in the book of Zechariah together if we can. I'd like to look at some passages and then segue from Zechariah to the New Testament for a few moments. But you recall that the nation of Israel was released um, by the Medio Persian Empire, Xerxes, and sent them back to the land to rebuild um, the temple. Now, we know the Spirit of God was, uh, was involved in that. The Spirit of God was the one who moved Xerxes to do that. Uh, however, it was not Xerxes' um, plan to praise God. He was looking to reestablish the people in that land as another center of tax information. That's all he cared about. He did not necessarily care about the Lord, but he was looking for the taxes, the revenue that could come from that area. And so he sent the people back, nonetheless, God working his sovereign will to accomplish uh, his will for his nation of Israel. They got back into the land and they began to rebuild the temple, the place of worship, the single place of worship that God looked for, uh, for his people Israel, and they became stalled in the matter. The people frightened them. Uh, the people wrote letters to uh, Darius. Uh, the people just stopped the work of the Lord. And God wanted them to continue, but there was a hesitation. God sent two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to write letters to these people to encourage them to get going, to get building the temple again. And God was letting the people know, through Zechariah particularly, the one we're looking at, that though the temple you're now building was, is not something that you necessarily long for. It's not the temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple by any shape of the imagination. It wasn't as glorious. It wasn't as prestigious. It, it, it did not have the splendor of Solomon's temple, but it was nonetheless the temple of God, and God wanted to establish his worship in the land. And he let them know further, though they were not interested necessarily in that temple, God still had a plan for the nation of Israel. And this was just the beginning of his plan for Israel. And that the nations round about them, though they were captive over them, and they would be captive for another 3,000 years, the Gentile nations, God was still going to do something magnificent. And one day, Jerusalem would be the center of the world. One day, Jerusalem would be the center of the whole world. Now, let's look at that very quickly if we can. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 48. We're coming back to Zechariah. So head with me to Ezekiel uh, chapter 48. Remember Ezekiel writing about the same instance, and we're, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 48, and the very, very last verse of this section in Ezekiel chapter 48. Notice, <clears throat> in Ezekiel chapter 48, writing about the great city. Remember the angel actually measured this city called the New Jerusalem. And the place that where the Messiah would come and rule and reign in downtown Jerusalem. Instead of seven miles square, the, all, the temple would be that large. Instead of the city being a few miles square, the city would be 50 miles square. It would be an incredible, incredible temple. But God would be there. Notice what he says in picking up in verse 35 of Ezekiel 48. And it was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city uh, that day shall be the Lord is there. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. That's where the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will be a permanent resi permanently residing right there in that new Jerusalem. 
And so the, the people of Zechariah's day would discourage many of them. They stopped building the temple. They were frightened. God said, listen, one day it's going to be a glorious, glorious place. And don't worry about the nations round about. Head with me back to Zechariah chapter 2. Because the nations round about that seem to be victorious, God has given them the victory. God has allowed them to overtake. God has allowed what is presently a part of their, uh, of their situation. But notice in verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, after the, after the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoil you, for he that touches you touches the apple of God's eye. God is going to sovereignly judge his people. And God will sovereignly judge those nations that interfere with his people. So if you think, if I think that the nations seem to be getting away with murder, for example, uh, Iraq, Iran, these nations that have persecuted the nation of Israel, the Palestinian nations, all those nations that have persecuted the nation of Israel, if we think they're going to get away with it, we're sorrowful, sorrowfully mistaken. God is going to be sovereign over all of them one day. Now, they seem to have a, a preeminence today. They seem to have an ability today. But God says, I will take care of them just like I'll take care of the nations of old. Why? They have touched the apple of mine eye. So we want to continue on now and notice what, uh, what is, will happen. Not only will Jerusalem be the glorious place, not only will the temple be the most glorious place on earth, but the most glorious person on earth will be there. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not the place we look forward to, it's the person who will indwell the place, the person of Christ himself. Remember, he came in his Shekinah glory into Solomon's temple. They, there was thousands, countless thousands of rams slain, bullocks slain, sheep slain. Why? To glorify the temple. And uh, the Shekinah glory of God came and overtook the temple. Well, one day, the glory of God will be in what we know to be the millennial temple the person of the glory of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we see that in Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 9. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And they shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. This is prophetic concerning Christ setting up his millennial kingdom. Verse 10, uh, verse 11. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. The Lord shall inherit Judah as his portion in the holy land, and shall cho cho choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O flesh, before the Lord, for he is rising up out of his holy habitation. Every indication is it's Messiah, the Lord Jesus himself. Have you ever noticed, and I just wonder this, I, I look at this myself, and it's part of my, what I consider to be a, just a, a thrill of my heart. Have you ever noticed that throughout the Old Testament, throughout the entire Old Testament, Primarily, when God talks about his Messiah, he talks about his Messiah in his second coming. That is when Christ will return to earth in full glory and full honor. Secondarily, when he talks about Messiah, is his coming 
as the Lamb of God. Primarily, he talks about him coming in full glory and in full judgment upon the world in his millennial kingdom. But secondarily, he talks about him as Messiah, coming as the Lamb of God. Turn with me to Zechariah, if you could, chapter 9, a passage you know very, very well. In Zechariah chapter 9, look at verse 9. Rejoice O greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt and foal of an ass. That was Messiah in his first coming. Lowly, lowly, a lowly birth. The lowly Messiah came. God talks about this on several different occasions, and you can name some of them. For example, Isaiah talks about the virgin birth. Micah talks about the place of the birth, that is Bethlehem. Isaiah talks about his suffering, Isaiah 53. Zechariah, as we just looked at, talks about his lowliness. But very, very few in comparison with the with the passages indicating his second coming to establish his millennial kingdom. When the Lord Jesus came the first time, he came as the lowly servant of God. But the Jews are waiting for him to come and establish his kingdom. See, to this day, they missed his first coming. And they still look forward to this, his coming in glory. And so this is what we want to discuss for just a few moments, if we can, together. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, what we know to be the incarnation of Christ. One day he's coming again in full glory and full honor. Let's look at that quickly. Head with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. The full implication of this, uh, this passage in Revelation chapter 19 just staggers the mind. When Christ will come to earth again, we look forward to his coming in what we know to be the great translation of the saints. That's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not there. It has nothing to do with Old Testament Israel. It has everything to do with New Testament church. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The only mention of Messiah coming and robbing graves is in Daniel chapter 19, but that's referencing Israel during the uh, millennial kingdom. But when we're looking at this Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11, and I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed with fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations." and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. For he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That will be what we know to be his second coming. That is 
his coming to rule and reign in his great millennial kingdom. But what of his first coming? Head with me to Luke for a moment, Luke chapter 1. What of his first coming? Did he come in glory and honor? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Yes and no, because he was God, very God, co-equal and co-existent with the Father. His coming was glorious. But that is not the glory that will be revealed in his second coming. Look in Luke chapter 1 for a moment, please. Now look at verse 32. This is, of course, the great announcement by Gabriel to Mary. Now, I know your ESV translates this will, uh, but really the, the Greek is pretty definite there. It's future tense, although future tense will could be future tense as well. Notice what it says in verse uh, 31. Uh, verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with, this, with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now this is so interesting. Call his name Joshua, or Joshua as we know it. Now within the scriptures, there's several places that the, the word Joshua is used. For example, in the Old Testament, Joshua was the, the general of, of Moses. We remember him very, very well. And then in the New Testament, there was one uh, Jesus who was called Justice, named in the book of uh, Colossians. His name also was Joshua, Jesus, who was called uh, Justice. And the, really the translation of that has to do with Savior. He is the Savior. His name shall be called Jesus, the Savior. Notice uh, again, please, in chapter 2 and verse 21. Head with me to chapter 2 and verse 21. Same thing used here in 2.21. And when the, when the eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, who was so named by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he is Savior. Joshua of the Old Testament, uh, uh, Joshua the general of Moses, his name was literally Jehovah is salvation. When Jesus is called Joshua, or Jesus, Savior, he is not Jehovah is salvation, that he is Jehovah the salvation. The salvation has come. The one, the very salvation whom God has appointed has come. Now I want you to notice this please, uh, used again. Head with me please to Matthew chapter 1. We're, we're coming back to Luke after a moment, but in Matthew chapter 1. This, of course, is the same angel, Gabriel, and he is speaking to Joseph. Remember, Joseph was uh, actually going to uh, annul, if you would, or divorce Mary, even from their, uh, they had a contractual agreement to marry. Uh, we would say they were engaged to be married. Our engagements today are uh, some. Uh, some speculation sometime in engagements today. Why? Well, maybe they'll get married, maybe they won't. But under Old Testament sense and New Testament sense, if you would, that this engagement was is an actual contract. So he was ready to break the contract of engagement. He was not yet married to her. Notice in verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, 
being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put away privately or to literally to divorce her. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And he shall bring forth, and she shall bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is salvation. He is more than Jehovah saves. He is the salvation that Jehovah promised. But notice, continue on in that. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So he's called Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, the Savior, who is now presently with us. Now head back with me to Luke for a moment, Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1. They're going to call his name Savior because he's here, here to save their people. But notice in verse 32, and he shall, literally, will be great. He shall be great or will be great. When? In his first coming? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. Remember, he's God. He's great no matter when. But this re reference to the greatness is when he takes upon himself the throne of his father David. Notice in context here. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign or rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. When? When? In his second coming. He establishes his kingdom. In his second coming, he sets up his millennial kingdom. And that was the promise throughout the whole Old Testament. Messiah is going to come. He's, he's going to come. But when he comes the first time, he's going to come as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But the promise, when he comes the second time, he's going to set up a kingdom. In Zerubbabel, you have a part in that. You have a part in that. How? By keeping the temple of God going. By keeping the whole process going, you have a part in that wonderful, wonderful temple. Now, throughout the Acts and the Epistles, uh, Acts and the Epistles, as well as in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus is referenced as the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is he called Jesus, but he's called Jesus the Christ. The term Christ there is Christos. It's literally the anointed one, the promised anointed one. He's the Savior of Israel. Look at Luke chapter 2 for a moment. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 32, Luke 2, 32. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 32. He's going to come, Simeon said, as a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said, Mary said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set forth for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. 
Yea, a sword shall pierce through his own soul. Uh, I'm sorry, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul uh, also, and the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. Talking about the Christ that's to come. He is the Christ. He is the Savior, Jesus. He's the anointed one. And as you follow this through, the entire Gospels, he's referenced as Jesus the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And you travel all the way through the, the, the entire uh, scriptures looking at that. So I want to look at it a couple times. For example, let me remind you of this. Remember when Jesus was up in the north, he was up in what we know to be Caesarea Philippi. And they were probably overlooking this, this temple, a giant temple that was there. And it was a, a temple to the god Pan, or Pan. Uh, it's called the Bunyas up there. But he, they were probably overlooking that. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And one said this, and then another said this. Some think you're this and that. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. You are that anointed one that was promised. Promised of Old Testament, promised by Moses, promised throughout Isaiah. Remember, these men were not ignorant concerning the Old Testament. They knew. They knew the Old Testament. Thou art the Christ, the Son. You're the anointed one. You're the Savior of Israel. Turn with me to Romans 7 for a moment. Actually, I brought you to the wrong place. Head with me to Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. Romans 9, 5. <clears throat> Talking about um, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in 9, 5. Whose are the fathers, and to whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was overall God, blessed forever. Amen. So he's called the Christ, again, the anointed one. He's the Savior that was the anointed one of God. Uh, look at chapter 15 and verse 19 of Romans. Romans 15, 19. Through many signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Icrylium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the anointed one, the gospel of the one that was promised to the nation of Israel, the Savior who was Christ, of course, the Lord. He's mentioned as uh, the Lord. Now, the word Lord is used in, in several different places uh, in the New Testament, the reference here to Lord has to do with the, a master, an owner. He's referenced in, in secular writings as uh, the Lord. He would be the Lord of a manor, for example. He'd be the Lord of a, a vineyard um, in a secular sense. But when we're talking about the Lord, he being the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our, our master, our savior, Jesus, and he is uh, the anointed one of God. That's why the reference is given all together. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our owner, our master, our savior, and he's the anointed one of God. Look at Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. Now, why is that important? Well, because the world today 
is very, very focused, in our day at least, in this time of year, they're focused about the one in the manger, are they not? They're interested in the baby. They're interested in the child. They're willing to go that far. But the world is in no way focused on the person of the Lord, the Master, the Lord, Savior, Anointed One. They're very interested in the child because a child is pretty innocent. Not. You see a little child and they're very lovely and they're innocent and oh, we just coo to them and make all kinds of funny noises and everything. But this one that came, that was not his purpose. His purpose was to be the master of all. His, his, his purpose was to be the savior of all. And he was the anointed one. So we're in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 21, if you would. Acts 1, 21. Acts 1, 21. Wherefore, of these men who have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went and in and out among us. This is, of course, uh, Peter, and he's referencing, we need to put another apostle on with us, and it was Matthias. And who do we pick from? Well, those who accompanied, and what I want you to notice, the Lord Jesus went in and, uh, and out from among us. Those who accompanied the Lord Jesus, the master. So they referenced him as the master, the Lord Jesus. Now, when, when someone mentions to us, well, Christ was born uh, this time of year, and isn't it a wonderful thing? Yes. Do you know him as your master? Do you recognize who he is? When you call him Christ, you also have to recognize him as your master. Your master, your savior, the anointed one of Israel. When the world looks at the Lord Jesus today, they look at something quite different than the scriptures call for. Someone who is to rule and reign over their very life. Head with me, please, to Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. And look at verse 33, Acts 4.33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon all of them. Notice the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Acts 11, just quickly, Acts 11. And look at verse 17, back to Acts 11.17. Acts 11.17. For as much then as God gave them the same gift as he did unto us. This is Peter speaking before the council, letting them know that the Gentiles have received the same Holy Spirit. For as much then as God has given the same gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could, uh, could withstand God? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, the Master, Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the Anointed One. He is the, the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing is mentioned, please, in, um, in Acts chapter 15, in verse 26. Acts 15, 26. Notice in verse 26. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So when Zerubbabel is, is hesitating in building this temple, when Zerubbabel is, is kind of worried about Darius, when they're, they're worried about the nations round about them, they're, they're shook up. Uh, what the message from the angel, who probably was the Christ himself, the message was, listen, one day this place is going to be great, and I am going to come and rule and reign in this very place. And so throughout the entire Old Testament, you have this picture of, of a Messiah, and he's one day going to come and establish and build a stupendous temple there in Jerusalem. And they have no idea, they really don't have any idea until we get into New Testament theology that one day even that millennial temple is going to change. And he's going to bring down what's called the New Jerusalem. But their, their heart is set on the coming of this great one that's going to relieve them from bondage from the Gentile nations. That's all they're looking for. And so throughout the Old Testament, God warns them, it's more than that. It's much more than that. God has a plan not only to relieve you from Gentile powers, but to put within your heart his very salvation. Head with me to um, the book of uh, Romans, chapter 1, please. Acts, Romans, chapter 1, and look at verse 1. We'll look at verses 1 right down through 3, if we could, please. Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he hath promised before his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who, made, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Notice, he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at verse 7, please. To all that be in Rome... Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The mention there is of, of his ownership. He's the Lord. His ownership. He's the Savior. And he's the anointed one, the promised one from God. Head with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. For someone to worship him in spirit and in truth, they must recognize that he's the owner. He's the master. For someone to truly worship God, they must acknowledge that. Remember, you were bought with a price. The price was paid. He's the owner. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He owns you. He's the Lord. He's the owner. He's your Savior. You were bought with a price, his precious blood. We weren't purchased with silver and gold, like our former, from our former manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb of God slain before the foundation of the word. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I fear sometimes when people just throw around the thought, well, I belong to him. And you hear things like the man upstairs and and, and things like that, it's frightening to me. People who call themselves Christians saying stuff like that. Listen, he is the master of my life. He's the savior of my life. He's the promised one. 
Look at verse 7, same, uh, I'm sorry, I sent you to Galatians 6. Look at verses 17 and 18. Pastor Rob did a great job this morning on Galatians and the one that was to come. Look at chapter 6 and verses 17 and 18, please. Henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. James says the same thing. James. Just a couple places quick. James chapter 1 and verse 1. I'm running out of time. James chapter 1 and verse 1. When people today talk about Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, are they referring to him as their master? Are they referring to him as their savior and the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ? Notice James. Now this is, the, of course, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus writing in verse 1. And James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes, tribes which are scattered abroad. This had a lot of significance. Why? Because he's writing to Jews about Messiah about their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said the same thing. Peter said the same thing. Turn with me back to Revelation now. Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 8, the context here is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the triune Godhead is always part of that. But in Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 8. This is the four living creatures. <clears throat> probably seraphim in verse 8. And the four living creatures had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within and the rest and they rest day and not, not they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty who was and is and is to come. The reference of uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, he is, and he is to come. Again, but the reference is his second coming. He came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And that's what the world celebrates today. And it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate the incarnation of Christ. But they must realize that with his incarnation came his mastership. He's master. He's an owner. I know the term is not recognized uh, very well today because of the ramifications of it, but he is a slave owner, and you're it. White, black, red, yellow, whatever skin color, it's irrelevant. He's the slave owner. He's the master. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the master, uh, and he's your savior, and he's the anointed one. And we're to submit to him in that. Because that's what he is. He's our Lord, Jesus Christ. Head with me to Revelation chapter 19. Again, we've come full circle. In Revelation chapter 19, again, let's look, please, at uh, verses, um, verses verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Faithful and true. This is such a, a, a wonderful statement spoken about our, our Lord Jesus Christ. What about his 
truth. Well, we took some time in 3rd John to look about at that, please, that he was the truth, but he's the faithful one as well. The word faithful there is certain, worthy, one to be totally believed and not denied. He is faithful. And then the term true, the true one who cannot lie. He is the truth. He's faithful and true. And notice, please, and in righteousness, he does judge and make war. See, when he comes back in his second coming, he says, all judgment has been committed unto me by the Father. And yet we read of him, as Pastor Rob mentioned uh, this morning, he came not into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But as you continue reading, you see, I, I'm not here to judge you, but you have one that judges you. Even the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. Are you faithful to that word? That he's what? That he was the savior, the master, the Lord of all. He's the Lord of all. And so today when people look at the crucifixion, I mean when they look at the incarnation of Christ and you know, and, and, and it's wonderful. I'm not saying it isn't. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It gives us, as was mentioned tonight, an open door to be able to talk to people about the master. The master. He is the one with whom we have to do. The world who does not believe his word, they will be judged according to uh, the book of the Revelation, a great white throne judgment. The books were open. And the book of life is open, and people are judged out of those books. Did you believe Jesus as Savior? But for us, for you and I, we also will go before a judgment, will we not, called the Bama Seat Judgment, in which all our works will be judged by him. So when we talk about this time of year, the Lord Jesus Christ, remember who he is. And he is to be to all of us who know him by faith in him that he is the master of my life. He's the savior of my soul, and he's the anointed one that's to come again in our full glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We look forward to a day, Lord, Lord, when our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords will sit upon the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. And David will be there, and the prophets will be there, and all the Old Testament believers will be there. And you will be seated in your holy temple, and we will see you there just as you are. And we will be like you, with a glorified body and mind. Our hearts will be changed, our thoughts will be changed. We will be like you, for we'll see you as you are. And Father, we thank you for the life you've given us, for the opportunity you've given us. Help us not to waste it, Lord, on the things of this world, but help us to concentrate on things above. Thank you, Father, for your gracious word, for your precious word. Help us this holiday season to have opportunity to speak to others of the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.